Okay, this this is Stefan Kinsella. This is going to be Kinsella on Liberty, episode 265, and I'm talking with Jordan um, Head, right? Correct. Okay, go ahead. So this just – in case uh, we decide to put this up later, because I like – when I talk, I, I like to uh, – if I spend 30 minutes or whatever, maybe other people can learn from it too, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, that makes sense. And I, I make this offer all the time on Facebook and stuff and rarely do the intellectual property uh, skeptics uh, take me up on it. So uh, anyway, why don't we set the stage? So you're Jordan and you're, are you in Dallas? Because I saw a 214 number. Right. Yeah, I'm in Dallas, Texas. Yep. OK. And we were talking on uh, Twitter uh, on a Bitcoin uh, right. kind of thread. Are you a, you're a Bitcoin guy, I assume? Yeah, I, I would say I'm a Bitcoin proponent. Right. Are you a, are you a BTC guy or what kind are you? Uh yeah, BTC. Yeah. Oh, you are. So you're I a guess maxim- I would, you're a maximalist. I, I think I would fall into that category, correct? Well, then we're on the same kind of. Uh, I'm I'm leaning that direction. Oh, are you are you interested in Bitcoin? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh okay. I I uh I was under the impression a lot of the Mises guys were, but I don't I don't want to like make that too broad but uh like the mises institute i i was under the impression most of them weren't too terribly interested in bitcoin so that's Uh, interesting i think that reputation might be fairly deserved Uh, i think that there was a lot of uh reluctance or you know people slow 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 to the uh slow on the uptake to and a lot of initial hostility or resistance to it based upon right you know gold that's understandable it's a Yeah. Uh, definitely a big paradigm shift. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been interested in a while. I'm not, an, I'm not an expert on it, but I'm just a uh, a lurker and a dabbler. And uh, but no, I'm definitely. Right. A, uh, I told my friends I'm cautiously pessimistic. I mean, I, 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 I see so many I mean, problems uh, that can new. happen, but yeah, but I, I, I'm hopeful, but um, or I would like it to work, but um. And I'm kind of right. a ma- maximalist. Like I, I think only one makes sense, and Bitcoin makes the most sense to me. Um, so I'm kind of I'm not persuaded by these. You know, the, the have a thousand coins, or I, I'm not either at all. I I don't think that makes any sense. I think if if this idea works, I think people are going to tend towards one that consumes you know the most capital and, and liquidity. Yeah, but, and I and I'm skeptical of this smart contract stuff. I think all that's, I mean, I think it's nonsense. Yeah, personally, that stuff, that technologically, that stuff's pretty far over my head, and it's it's just not really that. In, I'm I'm really more just interested in the possibility of real sound money, you know, liberating yeah. people. That's that's my main concern. So, yeah, that that's kind of how it I think. Yeah, right. I think Bitcoin's speculative enough. I don't need to dabble in all that other stuff that I, I think is far, far more questionable. What's your, um, what's your background? What do you do? Uh, I'm a diesel mechanic. So, uh, certainly wouldn't consider myself, uh, you know, like a economist or anything. I'm, it's just economics is something that it's just been of interest to me for the past four to five years. It's, and are you what, like um, are you are you uh, familiar with Austrian the like the basics of Austrian economics and libertarianism and all yeah, that stuff? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, I, I would. Okay. Uh, I guess if I had to qualify myself, uh, you know, as as a name, I, I think I would tend towards anarchist, voluntarist, whatever yeah. someone wants to call that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we're on the same big page. Fan so, of, so, yeah, so so you're yeah, a libertarian. Yeah, big fan of Murray Rothbard's work, yeah. uh, Mises. Yeah, so um, you're a libertarian, and you're in favor of property rights right. and free markets and capitalism and all that. Absolutely, yeah, and I don't I don't know that I would really consider myself a a IP skeptic. It's just I think it's the last piece of all all this that I just can't fully wrap my head around, and it's really like when I read your book. I can't really think of much in the book that I necessarily disagree with. I just, I, I'm having a hard time for whatever reason, fully deciding that IP is, is not a right, I guess. Right. Yeah, I get that. Um, and I look, I went through the same thing. I was a, I was a patent law. I'm a patent attorney and I was a real yeah, I thought that was and- interesting. Well, I learned a lot about it that way, and right. So uh, that's bet, one reason yeah. I started. I started looking into it, but um, yeah, I I was I was not happy with. Um, I, I I didn't find it persuasive, right? The arguments for intellectual property by Ayn Rand and those people, um, because you know, they would. And say I tend to agree with, right? Yeah. With in regards to Ayn Rand, um, I, I like some of her work, um, but I, I personally, I don't think there's a place for the state at all. I, I have no idea how all these complex issues will be solved in a stateless yeah. society, but yeah. to me, that doesn't matter as much. Um, well, so I don't well, agree with Rand that the state should get involved in that. Well, and that's the two... See, Rand, I, I'm probably more of a Randian than you are. I'm heavily influenced by Rand, but her two big mistakes, in my view, is number one, she was a, a statist or a mini-statist or a minarchist, right? Right, so she, like a she, minarchist, yep. Yeah, yeah, she opposed, uh, we call that mini-statism here on, on my side. But uh, um, And number two, her whole theory of intellectual property. That, so those are her two big mistakes. And so, um, and look, there's lots of libertarians who believe in intellectual property and they're anarchists. They just think it's a natural sort of right that would, would be upheld in a free society. Um, and I think that's wrong, too. So it's not about the state, really. It's, it's the fundamental issue of what property is. So the mistake is the mistake is uh, thinking that intellectual property rights are a type of property right uh, that are justified. That that's the fundamental issue, right? Whether they are or not. Yeah, I, I think that's. Yeah, I think if if I'm making a mistake, I definitely think that's the mistake I'm making. Is is essentially, if I can put it as concise as I can, the way I. And, and thinking about it in my head is that someone's time, because I, I remember you pointed out kind of how to distinguish what property rights a, apply to in, in life in your book. And it was something that it's got to be scarce, right? And in an individual's life, time is scarce. So I, I'm assuming right. we can consider like one's time to be a like a property right? No. Can we agree so, on so, that? So, no, no. And so let, let me explain something. Um, if I were rewriting the book now, and I'm going to rewrite it actually in a uh, sometime in the future, um, I would maybe change that word or explain it better because it's, it trips people up. Um, in 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 common life, the, we use the word scarce to mean like something that's like not abundant. But in right. economics, scarce resource refers to what what really we mean by a rivalrous resource. So the better term would be rivalrous, but and I've used that in subsequent writing, but it's kind of unwieldy. Um, so we mean a re- what I mean by it is a resource, something that we use in the world 
to accomplish ends that the the nature of that resource is such that only one person can use it at a time. In other words, there can be conflict over it. If there's not conflict over it, you don't need property rights. The whole purpose of property rights is when there's a possibility of conflict over this resource, you assign an owner to it so that person can use it without uh, conflict. Um, and the word scarce, you could say that, yeah, every person lives a finite amount of time, so their time is scarce. But it's not really a rivalrous resource. Like it's not a resource that you could own and trade and right. and have a conflict over. So I don't really think that time should be viewed as a rivalrous resource that's a means of action. It's sort of – time is just a flowing of events. It's, it's, it's presupposed in action. So I think it's heavily, heavily metaphorical to talk about time. Um, so no, I don't think time – look, so when we say um, if you murder someone, you rob them of their life, you stole their time, or if you take if you take the product of their labor, you stole the time they put into it. Those are just metaphors right. yeah. to try to approximate the damage that was done. So you know, if you build a home and I burn it down, I have trespassed against your physical property like your house. Right. Um, yeah, no, and no, and, and then that. the question is, how much damage have I done to you? How much damage do I owe you in restitution? And we can measure that by maybe the time you put into it or how hard it is to, to get a new one. So those are all measures of damages. But the fundamental act of, of trespass would be using a scarce resource, which is a physical thing that you didn't have that the, the person didn't have a right to. And that's not time. It's really just the resource itself. So I, that's how I would okay. look at that. Does that make sense? Well, that, that explains, I, yeah, I mean, I, that explains why, um, we have, well, I don't even know that I have really a, a too terribly strong of an opinion on this, but that, that explains our, our difference of opinion. Um, yeah, I think, I think the word, that's I think what goes through my head every time I, yeah. I think about this is I think of time as someone's right. Right. And if, if I'm wrong in thinking in that, then that explains where, where my, my, our, my issue is. Yeah. And that's partly, I won't say it's my fault, but it's, I mean, this is the way that the literature has developed and the word scarcity. Look, my view is this is a fundamental thing. You have to go way, way back to start to untangle it. And I've done that gradually over the years. I mean, honestly, I think it comes from what I think of as double counting. Like for example, if you say you own your life and you own your body, Okay, and you own your time, and you own your labor, and you own the fruits of your labor. You're just double counting a lot of things that are just redundant with each other. That are basically right? I mean, the same. Like if you own your body, then that gives you the right to control what you do with your body, and that gives you all these other consequences of your of your body. Like if you own your body, you can decide what to do with it. So that's your labor or your action. I guess that's the distinction to make is if if you own your body then you have the right to do with your time whatever you choose exactly. but that doesn't necessarily mean that someone else doesn't have a right to do with their time something that you deem might conflict with yours if, right if and if you, yeah sense. if you think if you think about that right so uh, the fact that we all exist together at a certain time dimension and we're doing things at the same time shows you that there's something fishy about calling time scarce because it's not a resource that we're all like using up or something 
in the sense that only one of us can use it. We can all time. use it simultaneously, right? I, I mean, the, the time is not even a thing that's a thing that exists that you can possess and own and control. So the way I look at it is the Mises, you know, Mises's idea of praxeology or human action is very simple, but right. it, it 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 just says look at human action as a structured thing that has two main ingredients. It's basically a human who has desires and wants and uneasiness and all this, and you, and you have some feeling about what's coming down the road in the future, and it makes you uneasy or you don't like what's coming naturally, so you want to change it. That's what all human action is, is you're trying to deflect the, the course of events by interfering. You want to change what's going to happen. Right. That's what all human action is, and the way you do that yep. is you, you manipulate – you interfere, which is to have, means causal, which means you have to use – Physics, the laws of physics and causal laws, you have to use tools and your body and human actions and motions to interfere and deflect. To interfere with the natural, yeah, with how naturally. That means you need to possess or grasp or control certain things, you know, your body and things that you manipulate and grasp. And then you have to use knowledge that you have in your mind that guides you to what you do. Like you have to choose what to do. You have to choose what you're going to pursue, you have to choose which way is going to achieve it. So you, you have to have two things to have human action. You have to have the possession and control of these means. And by means, this is what scarce resources are, rivalrous resources. That's what they are. And you have to have knowledge. And the, 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 the crucial fact, the way that it works is that these means are things that are scarce by their nature. In other words, only one person can use them at a time. Or another way of saying it is if I use it, it excludes your use. It's just not possible for us to both use the same car at the same time. We can't – you can't drive right, to right. Dallas, and I can't drive to Houston at the same time. So if we were both to try to do that, we would have a physical squabble or a violent fight or a conflict. And so right. you, uh, if you don't want that, you have to have property rights that say, listen, for all these things – that are of the nature that they can only have one user. And that's what I mean by scarce resource, but you could just. Oh, and so, so with, with intellectual property, the only way, so whereas if we both try to make a claim on one car, which is a physical object that we cannot share, then there has to be like, just naturally there's going to be an altercation, but with an idea, intellectual property, the only way for that to come to a conflict is one person would have to aggress against you. Like it's not a natural conflict. Does that yeah, well, well, make well, sense? You're, yeah, you're getting there. So basically um, uh, there's actually no way to conflict over ideas. The only way to conflict. Unless one to, person aggresses against the other. Against the like, other's physical property, right? So they use physical force against physical property. So basically all conflicts and all disputes are really always about physical things and that's why the rules the property rules that settle these things are always rules about who owns these physical things there could be conflict over let me let me give you an analogy people say that okay. um we fight over religion or there's wars fought over religion technically that's not true what, what they're saying is they're explaining the motivations of people they're saying that like okay like this guy rapes a girl he raped her because he hates women Okay, but his hatred of women is the motivation for his crime. But the description of his crime is that he physically used her body without her consent. Against That's her the will. crime, right. right? So the motivation is the explanation of why he did it. Um, 
the intentionality, in other words, he did it voluntarily, is why it's a crime. And what he did, he used her body without her permission, is why it's a particular type of crime. And so when you say people fight over religion, they don't really fight over religion. That's just an explanation of why they want to take each other's women and land and kill each other and stab you know, uh, stab spears into each other's bodies. So, but what the conflict is actually the stabbing of the spear into this other guy's body. You're using his body as if it's your property, but it's not. There's a conflict over who gets to use that body, or the sheep, or the land, or the women. Yeah, right? I, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. So all conflict is always over physical control of the scarce means or the rivalrous means of action. And it's always got to do with force and violence, and laws always determine – this is why Mary Rothbard says that all rights are property rights. So Ayn Rand says that all rights are individual rights of humans, and I think that's correct, and Rothbard explained that they're all property rights. And I would say that all property rights are rights to control these rivalrous or scarce resources. So that's just what they are. So it's literally impossible to have a property right in an idea. Um, so, for example, patent law and copyright law, which are the two main ways that we uh, have the positive law of the legal system try to enforce so-called intellectual property rights. If you think about it, they don't really give property rights to ideas because that's literally impossible. What they do is they give property rights to scarce resources based upon the rationale of who created an idea. So, for example, in a free market… You have a right to use your home and use your printing press and use your ink and use your factory to, to make widgets or to print books, right? And every time you do this, you, you make a widget, you make a phone, you make a, you make a, a saddle for a cow, for a horse, uh, you print a book. with. That's all guided by knowledge that you have. That's true. You have to know what pattern to put down on the book. You have to know how to shape the saddle or to make a stirrup right. or whatever. And But you're just doing that in the confines of your own property, and you're not trespassing against anyone else. You're not taking anything from them. You're not violating the borders of their resources. There's no conflict. You can make a saddle, and, that, that's and the part that, make a saddle. Right, and that that's the like, – I, this is where I'm so – like I'm, I'm most conflicted internally is like I, I completely agree with everything you just said is, is that you can take some idea that someone else took like, – someone else created and you can recreate that personally. And I don't, there's no, there's no issue at all. I totally agree. What for, for whatever reason, in my mind, I just, I have a hard time getting past the idea that if you take that to market, when you didn't put the time into that, that's where I get. No, no, I get that part. And and, and I, I get that part, but if you get the fundamental straight, then you can start untangling that part. Then you can start saying, okay, So now I'm concerned about consequentialist things or incentive effects or or even just practical things like how would the world work or how would I bring this product to market if this right wasn't protected? And those are fine questions to ask. It's good to be confused about it or to not be certain. But you, number one, you got to remember that a question is not an argument. Like if you say, well, how am I, how am I supposed to sell my book of poetry if people can copy it? I mean, if that's right. not yeah, a, and, if if that's not a rhetorical question, if it's an if it's a sincere, sincere question, then it's just a question, and that's fine. You can ask someone a question, but maybe it's not my job to answer your question. That's like saying, "How right. am I supposed to start a pizza restaurant if there's five different chains already in town? How am I supposed to do that? It was I, my dream, and, because, and, you know." And I, I hate that I'm even making that argument because it's that, that's the biggest 
that's what is, is so conflicting to me is that this is the same kind of argument that statists make. Well, well, if you took away the state, then what about the roads? Who's going to do it? And I, I feel like I'm almost doing the same thing here. Well, is, and it's, it's the same thing with the welfare. So the, so let me give it the welfare argument is, you know, you know what it is. They'll say something like, um, um, we need to make sure that everyone's got a minimum income and all this kind of stuff. So we need right, a welfare right. And then we libertarians will say, well, there would, you know, you don't need that. There'd be private charity. And then they, then they latch onto that. They'll say, are you saying there's a guarantee that there'd be private charity? Because they want a guarantee, right? And you're like, well, no, I'm, it's not a guarantee that yep. that would happen. And they're like, well, you just said it would happen. If you can't guarantee it, then I'm going to go back to my system. Now, of course, their system which, doesn't which is a fallacy. Well, right. their system which doesn't is, guarantee think, it anyway, right? I mean, Social Security right, is exactly. Go it's like demonstrably false that their system is is working. <laughs> yeah, and and this, it's the same thing, by the way, with intellectual property because, as a matter of fact, patent law impedes innovation and distorts the system heavily it, it slows down innovation so it actually does not encourage innovation uh, and, and which i think makes yeah. sense because it, it creates a monopoly which I, I think always is going to be counterproductive to innovation i yeah i think a lot of the a lot of the mainstream type advocates of of patents would be reluctant to call it a monopoly unless it gets to a certain level and so i don't and i i don't agree with them but um, you don't even have to go there. The, the whole point is that the point of a patent is to give the holder of the patent the right to go to the courts and to prevent someone from, from competing with him. I mean that's just what it is. It literally yeah. pre pre prevents people from competing with you, and competing means making something similar. And if they can't make a similar product because it's illegal, then they're not going to research – and develop innovations on that product or on similar products. They'll just they'll just av avoid that whole area, right? Which is why in the right. smartphone space, for example, you have three or four big smartphone makers, and that's it. I mean, a little guy. I mean, so you have Apple, Samsung, these guys, right? And they sue each yep. other, and then they back off. And they they threaten each other with their patents and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> and and. and but that means that they pay royalty and they pass the price on down to the customer, right, of, of the royalties. And, and that reduces innovation, reduces competition because a small guy starting up who wants to introduce a new smartphone, he couldn't even get in the club. He couldn't get in the gates because he doesn't have any patents to sue these guys with. So they would just right. crush him with their patents. So you've got, you've got cartels literally caused by the patent system, right? Um, which reduces competition and reduces innovation. So the whole patent system actually does not increase innovation any more than the welfare system really helps the poor. Right, right. But but that's yeah, not and the, I, and but I, that's not the key argument. That's a that's like a secondary argument. The key argument is the really the principled property and moral argument. You know. Yeah, I I think I've told like I I tell myself, you know, internally like. That, I see the problems with the patent system. Like I think it's it's a horrible system the way it's done, at least in the U.S. And I guess, I don't really know about other countries, but I just I don't know for whatever reason I've well I guess for the reasons I've explained being I think our our uh, discrepancy is is the time thing, which I'm leaning more towards. Well, you probably of, being correct at this point, but th think of it this way too. Um, uh, um, the whole the whole reason that we're rich now and that we're doing well and that we're civilized in, in, in 20, 2019 in a world of 7 billion people 
is because of all the accumulated knowledge we've inherited from the ages, right? All the work that's been done over the ages. I mean, we have right. this huge stock of knowledge. Let's just say technical knowledge alone, political, economic, all this, but mostly technical, right? Of uh, engineering, physics, chemistry, that kind of stuff. And that knowledge right, grows right. every generation, and we get to dip into it and use it, and we benefit from that. Right. That's why we're wealthy and that's why we're rich. And the reason we do that is because, number one, people communicate with each other and they learn. They learn from what's already been learned and they add to it. And then that gets incorporated into products and spread. And you have free market competition where people see what other people are doing that satisfies consumers or a new innovative way to make a product. And they emulate that. They, they copy it, basically. Copying is nothing more than learning and free market competition. Like there's really nothing wrong with copying. And people will say, oh, well, then you believe in plagiarism, which of course has nothing to do with copyright, patent, or even trademark. Plagiarism is a private university type thing about, about authorship. And I mean, they, they mix these terms together. So like, the, and then they'll say, oh, well, that's fraud then. It's fraud if you like pass your product off as your own when someone else came up with it, which is ridiculous. I mean, everything is incremental. You know, uh, every car has millions of advances that were come up with, come up with by previous people, right? Every automobile engine, right? Yep. And there's no plagiarism going on there. There's no fraud going on there. No one's pretending that they invented the whole thing. <laughs> They're just selling something that works. Just incremental change, yeah. Well, or even even if it's a duplicate. I mean, you know, if someone comes up with a a, a suitcase with wheels on the bottom and it becomes popular. Hey, guess what? Everyone else is going to start having suitcases with wheels on it. That's not plagiarism, and it's not fraud. It's just competition and learning and innovation. I mean, there's, there's really no, you have to. That's the mindset you have to get. You have to get this mindset that there's really nothing wrong with competition and learning and emulation. And that does mean that you start to scratch your head, wondering, okay, well then, how would business models evolve to make certain? Uh, you know certain projects profitable in the in the face of this and that's a challenge of entrepreneurship but that's got nothing to do with political theory that just means that right and that's that's the important distinction is that it, it i guess it shouldn't really matter these these like questions as as you put it they don't matter what matters is not violating other people's rights well and the other the other thing the other thing to think about is this in, in the world of 100 years ago 50 years ago um every in a free market, let's say in the US, every entrepreneur who started a business knew that he faced potential competition down the road. Like if you start a successful dry cleaning business or pizza restaurant, you know, if you're the first one to start delivering pizza, pretty soon someone might say, Hey, I'm gonna start competing with you and delivering pizza too. So you know right. that you face competition, but it takes a while usually for people to gear up and to see what's successful, what they want to emulate, what they want to compete with. To, to get the capital to invest. So you sort of have a natural monopoly for a while, like just because you were first to market and it gives yep. you the right to charge higher than average prices for a while, but then your margins start. And to that's get what brings com competition in. It, it brings competition in and then you have to either innovate or keep competing, but then your profit margins might go down and you might even go out of business. Sometimes, you know, Amazon might put uh, Sears out of business or something like that. Right. Um, right. But, the, what happens in certain types of products, which are heavily dependent upon 
the knowledge that goes into them, right? Like the design of software or something like that, or even a book or a novel where basically 99% of the value is in just the patterning of it. And in our modern digital world with the internet and with, with copying technology, uh, it's easy to copy that part of it. So, or, or, or in the pharmaceutical case, you could say that uh, it, once a drug comes out that works, all you have to do is replicate that formula and then you could compete. So the complaint is simply that it's easier to compete now sometimes. In other words, the competition that the entrepreneur faces will come quicker and it's, and, and right, it's easier. Right. And so they're like, well, normal competition, I'm okay with facing if it's slow because I have a 20-year a buffer of, of extra high profits. But if, it's, if, if the product is heavily intellectual or IP related, then I need to have a, a, a monopoly from the government so I can make my profits for 20 years and then people can start competing with me. But what that means is the government has to legally stop people from competing with you because they're competing too fast. That's the, really the whole complaint against copying movies or books or pharmaceuticals or or designs that are easy to copy once once you know what to copy, right? Once someone makes a successful product, and that's just not a free market argument, I believe, at all. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um... I mean, yeah, this has been this has been really helpful. Uh, I, I hope you do post this. I'd I'd like to listen to this again a time or two, and, and then probably go back through your book. I'll, I'll post it, and I think you're right in identifying some probably um, difficulties in in the way the original book was put out, um, and that was 20 years ago now. Um, I mean, I've written a lot. Oh, has it been then. 20 years? Yeah, I think I published it in 1998 or 99 or 2000 oh, okay. the first time. So, but in the meantime, I I, I keep refining the argument because um, that, so that's why I want to do a new one probably next year, and I'm going to call it "Copy This Book," and I'm just going to do a new one from scratch, um, uh, with hopefully some modes of argument that uh, that don't lead to this. Because you get the same scarcity argument when people say, "Well, good ideas are scarce," you know. Right. Which, yeah. By which, I, yeah. By, I think by you're which right. they I mean think rare. That's... Yeah. They mean they mean they're rare. So, but that doesn't mean that we think property rights and good ideas, right? Right. So the word scarcity could be a hang-up for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that's what what got me, um, and I think that's been what's gone through my mind for for years, and. So yeah, that, that may be a, a good idea to to refine that part of it and yeah. perhaps explain it better, like like what you talked about. Yeah, I agree. Well, anything, any, it, I tell you what, if you have any other questions in the future, feel free to let me know. I'm always happy to talk about this, and I'm still learning too. I'm still learning about this stuff myself. It's a very yeah. arcane. Are we all? A, yeah, it's an arcane field. It's hard to figure out. Well, and it, there's so much like almost propaganda surrounding it. Like, it's just such a divisive topic and it you know like like you like you told me uh over twitter if you listen to mainstream ideas and that's that's almost all you hear you just almost get indoctrinated and it's well, hard to shake that and the reason i think is and this is a this is a more of an explanatory thing I, the, the best way i can figure out what happened is that back at the the dawn of sort of western political philosophy like around 
like John Locke and his original argument for private property rights, they started right. using this metaphor that you own yourself, therefore you own your labor, therefore you own things you mix your labor with. And that, that was how he justified private property rights. But the assumption there was that you own your labor. And if you have this fiction, this metaphorical fiction that you own your labor, um, then you start getting this idea that you have some kind of right to the fruits of your labor. And that means you have a right to profit off of the effort you put into something, which which naturally leads to the Marxian idea, right? The, the, uh, the labor theory right. of value. And, and I think you did a yeah. – right. I think you did a good job explaining that, that piece in your book. I, I didn't really have any contention with that. Yeah, but the point is it's pervasive. So it's it's like yeah. our entire society and almost all the things we talk about and do, you keep hearing this argument over and over and over again in different ways. So it's natural that people – it's a paradigm shift in your mind to like break free of it because you, you keep hearing that, well yeah, – I mean, you'll hear this from libertarians. If you, if you say you're against um, ownership of your labor, they'll say, well – so you want the government to own your labor? Like they, they can't see they can't imagine that labor's not an ownable thing. It's just what you do with your body. And you right. own your body. That's what you should own, right? You own your body and that's enough. You don't need to double count. You don't need to own your body and the labor. Anyway, that's kind of my thinking on it. And uh if you ever want to talk further, I'd be happy to, but I'm glad you kind of have an open Definitely. mind. Yeah, this has been been really helpful and again I, I really appreciate you doing this. It's uh very, very generous. You're welcome. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Happy Bitcoining. Hold on a second. All right. Goodbye.